You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Lucinda Larnick. This is the WFHB Local News 4, Thursday, January 13th, 2022. Later in the program, we have the January edition of Prescription for Healthcare, a monthly podcast collaboration between WFHB and Medicare for All Indiana. Our guest today is Kay Tillo, a Louisville-based activist and labor organizer who supports universal healthcare. More in the bottom half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, WFHB's Youth Radio took the streets of Bloomington to ask residents how all the rain last December affected them, affected the climate and what can be done to help. But first, your local headlines. U.S. Representative Trey Hollingsworth, who represents the 9th District of Indiana, says he will not seek re-election in 2022. In an op-ed in the Indy Star, the Republican congressman cited his belief in term limits as the driving force behind his decision. He says, quote, I took a pledge to limit my own terms because of this very idea, to remind me to focus on the people and that serving the public wasn't intended to be a career by our founders, end quote. Indiana's 9th Congressional District includes Bloomington and suburbs of Indianapolis and Louisville. Right now, five Democrats have announced their candidacy for the 2022 race, along with one GOP candidate and one Libertarian challenger. According to the Washington Post, Hollingsworth served on the House Financial Services Committee since he took office five years ago. A graduate of the University of Pennsylvania and Georgetown University, he co-founded a company that rebuilds manufacturing sites. Eugene Scott, a national political reporter for the Washington Post, wrote that Hollingsworth ranked among the wealthiest members of Congress during his first term. Hollingsworth garnered national attention when he was one of 35 Republicans who broke ranks with their own party to establish an independent commission to investigate the January 6th Capitol riot. In his op-ed, Hollingsworth says, Much of my time in Congress has been investigated in battling Washington itself. I voted against bad budgeting, reckless spending and over-regulation. I believe we need strong term limits. I hope Congress passes strict lobbying bans. We need to compel our representatives to work to better their constituents rather than better themselves or their careers. Republicans have represented the 9th District since 2010. The last Democrat to hold that office was Representative Baron Hill, who was elected in 2008, nearly 14 years ago. The general election will happen on November 8th, whilst primaries will take place on May 3rd. The filing deadline is February 4th. Following a 21-month closure, the John Waldron Art Center reopened on January 4th for use by the public and visual and performing artists. According to a press release from the City of Bloomington, large events are not expected to take place until later in the year due to a recent spike in COVID-19 cases. 
reopening celebration originally planned for last Friday will be rescheduled to a later date. The John Waldron Art Center, or simply the Waldron, was built in 1915. It formerly served as Bloomington City Hall and housed the city's police and fire departments through 1985. In 1990, the city deeded the property to the Bloomington Area Arts Council. The building has since remained an arts venue and since 1994 has been home to WFHB Community Radio. In 2010, the city sold the building to Ivy Tech, who operated it as an arts space for the next 10 years. Then, in December 2020, Ivy Tech announced it would sell the building back to the city, reverting ownership in January 2021. Since taking ownership of the building one year ago, the city organized the Waldron Task Force, which recommended repairs of the facility. In May of last year, the city announced a $515,000 commitment for capital improvements to address deferred maintenance of the facility as part of the Recover Forward Initiative aimed to help the community recover from the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Repairs included an upgraded HVAC system to comply with Actors' Equity Association requirements, restoration to the building's windows in a historically accurate manner, a completion of roof repairs and update of all light fixtures to LED, and a repair of water damage throughout the building. In a press release, the city says it's currently repairing the downspout filtration system to prevent future flooding in the building. Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton says of the reopening, quote, This substantial public investment in the required repairs at the Waldron demonstrates the city's commitment to the arts in Bloomington. The arts need a public space that they can call home. While the Waldron is not a purpose-built space, it continues to serve our arts community, contribute to our local economy, and improve our community's quality of life, end quote. According to the press release, the city plans to maintain management of the building for the first half of 2022 while conducting negotiations with a third party for long-term management of the building beginning in July of this year. Inquiries about using the Waldron Arts Center can be directed to Holly Warren, Assistant Director for the Arts, City of Bloomington at holly.warren at bloomington.in.gov. As temperatures drop to dangerously cold levels, several warming stations in Monroe County will open their doors for temporary relief. In a press release, the county says these stations are for residents without heat, who can come to warm up and continue on their way. Warm-up stations do not include food, showers, or places to sleep. If county residents are in need of overnight shelter, they can reach out to local shelters or their local trustee's office for other essential needs. Warming stations include the following locations. Bloomington Fire Station 1 at 226 College Avenue. Bloomington Fire Station 2 at 209 South Fairfield Drive. The Monroe Fire Protection District at 5081 North Old State Road 37 and the Ellettsville Fire Department Headquarters at 5080 West State Road 46 in Ellettsville. The City of Bloomington encourages residents who are experiencing homelessness to seek shelter and or resources at the following locations. Beacon Incorporated 
at 620 South Walnut Street. A Friend's Place at 919 Walnut Street. Wheeler Mission at 215 South Westplex Avenue. New Hope Family Shelter at 301 West 2nd Street. Or contact Middleway House's 24-hour crisis line at 812-336-0846. Warming stations will be open from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. The county asks residents to abide by the rules of each station by wearing a mask and maintaining at least six feet of distance between other individuals in the building. Up next, we have the January edition of Prescription for Healthcare, a monthly podcast collaboration between WFHB and Medicare for All Indiana. Our guest today is Kay Tillo, a Louisville-based activist and labor organizer who supports universal healthcare. We turn to our host, Karen Greenstone, for more. From Bloomington, Indiana, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB Community Radio, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana. I'm Karen Greenstone, along with Dr. Rob Stone. Hello. Our guest today is Kay Tillo from Louisville, Kentucky. Kay worked in the civil rights movement and then spent her time working in the union movement, mostly in organizing nurses and other hospital and healthcare workers. Kay is currently the chair of Kentuckians for Single-Payer Healthcare, and the coordinator for unions for single payer. Kay Tillo, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare. Hi, I'm very pleased to be with you. You've been working many years organizing labor unions to endorse and support universal health care, single payer Medicare for all. What inspired you to do this work? Well, I think that because I worked in union organizing, I was really became familiar with the problems within healthcare and certainly the problems for unions in negotiating healthcare packages. So I uh, made it my business to try to learn about the issue. What was wrong that our country wasn't doing well? And I, I actually made contact with physicians for a national health program on that and began to read what they produced and learned about it and then set out to try to move the labor movement to be supportive of the real solution, which is removing the for-profit insurance industry from our system and making sure that everybody is covered with no barriers uh, at the point of service. You mentioned the, the labor contract negotiations, and they always seem to feature disputes over healthcare coverage what the company pays, what the employee pays, our family members included. And for years, the plans have continued to be more expensive for workers, more costly premium sharing, higher co-pays, higher deductibles. What are the concerns people have expressed to you about changing from employee-sponsored health insurance to a national health program. How do you address these questions? I really think that union, most union people have a greater concern for inadequate coverage 
and the expense that it is in terms of not being able to do anything else that unions always did, improve wages, improve pensions, improve staffing and conditions, because uh, unions are always faced with the problem of the employer saying, well, you know, we're going to have to put thousands more annually into the health care. And that means you need to take a wage cut or we're not going to be able to do this. We're not going to be able to do that. So I actually think that uh, the problem that we see, which is the cost of health care and the inadequate coverage, is the bigger mover. And of course, that's why when we began working on getting unions to endorse a national single payer, it was like it just it was a groundswell of support because everybody sees the problems and everybody would like to have a national plan that really works. Now that's not totally unanimous, but it really is the prevailing sentiment among unions. There are some who say we'll work on patching up the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, for now, but eventually we want single payer. I think almost all unions are saying that single payer really is the solution. Now we have to work to get them across that barrier that says, for now, we're going to put up with something that is worse. But I think that the crisis is uh, is increasing. I think the last figures that I saw is that just the premium for family coverage and employer-based plans is something like 22000 a year. Wow. <laughs> and if you think about that in comparison the minimum wage in our country is like seven twenty-five or thirty-five, yeah. and it's so it, the minimum wage job doesn't even produce for you two-thirds of what it takes to do your family health care coverage. Something's out of whack here, and uh, that twenty-two thousand, I think. Uh, employers pay on average sixteen thousand of that, and the employee pays about. 6000 which is like 500 a month. And that's just the beginning. That's just the premium. So it's way too much to be for workers to have to pay. And it's not a functional system. And everybody has an interest in moving us ahead to single payer. Yes. So I imagine it's been difficult to organize over the last two years because of COVID. How have you been able to continue your work? Yeah, it has been. It's difficult because we used to go to Central Labor Council meetings and lots of union halls and show movies or slideshows and have discussions and work on getting endorsements. And that's been very difficult. But we have been able to share a movie that we were a part of that has some cool discussions with Canadian workers about what their conditions are like because they do have a single-payer system. And that we've tried to get around. And we also have, we have a, a very extensive list of email list of uh, unions all across the country. It's about 23,000. Wow. Uh, so it's, every, it's everybody from the shop stewards to the top level of the AFL-CIO. Not everybody, but it's a big list. So we try to use that to distribute information that would be important 
to workers and to unions and to continue to try to influence it because we really believe that the unions, the base of the labor movement is workers and that's who funds this. And so it's not corporate funded, grassroots and has the potential because of that funding and that interest that's at the base to actually be the key force to push us across the line. So trying to win people in the union movement to a really active role in pressing it forward is just, there's nothing more important for people to do. And unions are gaining strength at this point with Amazon trying to organize and other groups, Starbucks trying to organize. Yeah, I think that we've been beat up on so badly, but I think the popularity of unions grows as the condition of workers has worsened. You know, so unions are popular now. If we could just uh, open the gate to making it possible for working people to really organize, we could grow the union movement again. The union movement of the 30s was the dynamic force that brought many of the social changes that are still the best programs we have today. And so we have the potential of a union movement that could be uh, independent of corporate power and push forward on the interests of workers and of the country as well. Okay, I think that I know the answer to this, but we always ask as part of the program, what is your prescription for healthcare? Aha, uh-huh. <laughs> there is no solution that includes these for-profit giants that are dominating our healthcare system. That is indeed the problem. Healthcare costs too much because they are uh, involved and they are using our healthcare system as a, a source of profit. And that distorts what healthcare should be. So we need a single payer system, one in which everyone is covered, absolutely everyone, everybody in, nobody out, and one that is funded by within the country, one that is not tied to your job so that your boss does not control your health care. That's a terrible thing. When the employer controls the health care, they control the ability of workers to change jobs, to be free to negotiate, et cetera. When workers go on strike, most of them lose their health care. And that's a terrible control that employers have over the ability of unions to take action to try to improve conditions. So the solution is national legislation for single-payer health care, no for-profit entities within it, everybody covered, Everything covered, dental eyeglasses. It's basically the legislative proposal of the Physicians for National Health Program, which lays out all of the conditions. No co-pays, no deductibles, no barriers to care. Let's take care of everybody and we'll be a much better community and nation. Well said. Thank you. Really well said. And for our listeners, uh, we will add a note to the radio uh, show that's that will be on the website, WFHB website, with a link to the video that Kay was talking about.
Well, Kay Tillo, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. We really appreciate it. And I know I learned something and, and here we go. Thank so you. thank you so much. This is Karen Greenstone and Dr. Rob Stone for Prescription for Healthcare, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana on WFHB Community Radio in Bloomington, Indiana. To your good health, everyone, stay safe and wear a mask. Up next, WFHB's Youth Radio took the streets of Bloomington to ask residents how all the rain last December affected them, affected the climate, and what can be done to help. We turn to producer Wilder Mouton for more. This is Voices in the Street, WFHB's monthly public opinion feature, providing the members of our community the opportunity to have their voices heard. Last month, our correspondents braved the torrential showers to ask Bloomington residents how the radical weather shifts last December have affected them, asking, how do you feel about all this rain in December? I'm tired of it, and I want it to stop. Rain's okay, I wish it were snow. I mean, it sucks, but weather in Bloomington always sucks. I think there's maybe like one good day out of the year in Bloomington where the weather's nice. Being from Wisconsin originally, I would rather this be snow. I second that statement. It doesn't feel like December when it's raining. Do you feel like the strange weather is making you feel off? It is off, it's not correct. The world is out of balance. It, you know, when it's raining so much, I think it affects people's state of mind a little bit, too. At least I know it does mine, you know. When the sun's shining, it doesn't really matter the temperature. It makes you feel better. Would you agree? I agree. I think that's definitely worrying, climate change and all that, but, like, not too much I can do about it. There was, like, a couple winters ago where I remember snow, but, like, ever since then, for, like, the last few years, there hasn't been snow, so I've gotten used to it. But, yeah, it does feel strange. Like, I guess I haven't really thought about it, that there's no snow, so... Are you concerned about extreme weather events worsening due to climate change? It's like such an abstract issue that like in your daily life you don't really feel it. I mean I'm sure like in some parts of the country you do, but like, you know, I'm worried about like exams and stuff, so thinking about like global emissions or something is not on the top of my list. I mean sure it's a concern, but like I hope other people are dealing with that. You know, I'm not the guy to address the issue. You can call it what you want, global warming, climate change. Whatever you want to call it, it's happening. It's here. You just have to ask the people on the street that have been affected by it or impacted that no longer have a home or their goods or belongings, right? What do you think policymakers or individuals should be doing about this? Do you feel hope for the future? Making sure that more heat actually lands on the surface of the Earth rather than getting absorbed by the atmosphere so that more of the radiation from solar rays actually comes here and increases uh, production by solar panels. But I would say carbon taxes, things along those lines, would probably be helpful. So I think the best solution would probably be some trade agreement where we set some regulations, we enforce them on other countries, but we also make sure that's not going to reduce their growth. So we would have to provide some money because obviously we can afford to be green and neutral. Other countries can't really. 
there's so much to control. I don't know that the policy is going to do it. You think more of like a community-based? Yes. Yeah, I think people need to be motivated to change. Probably just meat consumption. Meat consumption is really, really bad for the environment. Well, I guess that all depends on us and the future generations to come and how we decide to deal with it. Uh, I mean, everything around us is kind of dependent upon having your own personal car. It, it goes to even the way cities are enshrined in law and have to be built, like the roads and stuff. So if we were able to walk more places and things along those lines, it'd be great. But we don't have a lot of control over that, only policymakers do. I feel optimistic because I believe um, your generation is, is going to be the change agents and future generations. We have to change. We gotta strive to change and be better. And I think we have that opportunity. It's, I think, a bit harder to tell people as, you know, a 20-something college student, like, hey, this is how you should change your life to better suit the environment, because I kind of do it too. I have a car. I'm not a vegetarian. It is what it is. All interviews were conducted by Marty Abadi and Noel Herhusky Schneider, edited and produced by Wilder Mouton. This has been Voices in the Street, WFHB's monthly public opinion feature of candid, local commentary about our world today. Voices in the Street is a volunteer-powered joint production of our news department and youth radio program here on WFHB, 91.3 98.1 FM, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Karen Greenstone. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Lucinda Larnock. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Big Talk, a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people. Coming up next on WFHB.
You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 